You're listening to The Wrestling Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at obpapparel.com. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life. It's episode 157. We're in the second week of May of 2018. I'm Ethan. I'm Liam. Quite a lot to get to this week. The least viewed Raw of the year, the least viewed SmackDown of the year that Liam was in attendance for. There was a backlash show that has everyone in an uproar. New Japan's making some waves. Chris Jericho's going back there. And uh, just lots to get to. Let's start with that backlash show. Um, This seemed like the fan base was really ready to riot uh, (laughs) Sunday night, Liam. And I think if you follow this business as closely, you know, as the listener does, if they're listening to this very obscure wrestling podcast and as closely as we do, that you kind of get numb to a certain level of bad show. But this maybe was a step beyond that. Did you have a visceral reaction to Backlash? Um, not, not the way that some people did. I mean, it was bad. Don't get me wrong. It was bad. It's probably the worst WWE show of the year, maybe of the last couple of years. Um, but I, I mean, there, and there was bad. I mean, if you look on the show and you look at it top to bottom, there was not very much good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the sometimes the problem with WWE thing is that every match is so patterned, is so the same that I just sort of expect you know my baseline expectations for WWE pay per views at this stage is that they're all going to be too long. Most of the matches probably won't be very, you know, won't be outstanding, but they won't be awful. And there really wasn't a lot on on this show that was like supremely awful. I mean, the main event was not was probably one of the worst outings I've seen Roman Reigns have as a main eventer, and probably one of the worst outings Samoa Joe's had as a main eventer. Um, but I I don't know. I just yeah, maybe maybe numb is a good way to put it. I didn't uh, like I said, I didn't have high expectations for the show. Um, I did think that Big Cass is not ready for long singles matches. I mean, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But that match was that match was really bad. That match I did dislike strongly. But um, what about you? Where I mean, did it see, did it stand out as worse than say, I don't know, Roadblock End of the Line or one <laughs> of those other you know December pay per views that are always pretty bad? One of those was more of a personal insult to me a couple of years ago when they, you know, they beat Sasha for no reason. But we'll get into that maybe later in boss time. But um, yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, um, I didn't have like a visceral "oh, this show sucks" reaction to it. Um, I was just taking more of a maybe a a longer range view of it and thinking that both that show on Sunday and Raw on Monday were indictments of the people that WWE has trained from scratch at the Performance Center. The Big Casses, the Baron Corbins, the Romans, uh, um, Carmella, you know, I'm sure they're all, I'm I'm sure most of them are lovely people. Uh, I like Carmella, I like Roman. Um, I don't really like Cass or Corbin, but, um, and Corbin's adequate, and Roman is usually good. But as you mentioned, that was a bad outing from Roman. His selling was no good. And then Joe kind of had a bad reaction when the crowd turned on that match 
after they kind of came out of the the gate going 100 miles an hour, they slowed it down, and Joe, to spite the crowd, um, went to like a really long rest hold. And you can tell just from his reactions that he uh, was not pleased. And it seemed like they went home early, too. I don't remember a ton of near falls or anything um, in that. So they, they adjusted on the fly. But to me, you mentioned Cass having a bad match with Daniel Bryan, which is really a skill. <laughs> um, I saw Daniel Bryan get like a three-and-a-half-star match out of Kane in like 2014. Yeah. Like, it's a special talent to not have a good match with Daniel Bryan. Well, like what? Why? All, the, all these performance center, well, I, I probably just answered my own question, but they want to push the people that they've trained so they can trumpet the fact that they've trained all these people, but I'm watching Big Cass and God bless her, Carmella and Corbin <laughs> wrestle on pay-per-view while Johnny Gargano <laughs> yeah. is, is down in NXT. So I don't know. I wasn't as angry as a lot of people were about that show. And but uh I, I didn't think it spoke highly of the performance center. Yeah, I mean that definitely has I think that's a very good point that you're raising. I mean from what we see in a lot of these training videos and stuff, and from what we hear from interviews, I see a lot of uh, a lot of calisthenics, mm-hmm. a lot of Olympic style weightlifting. Uh, don't see a lot of guys learning how to wrestle from. I mean, they got guys like Steve Carino down there. Uh, you know, Shawn Michaels is a producer in NXT. Uh, I mean, they have guys like Scotty Duhati, I think, is one of the trainers now at the Performance Center. Mm. Um, like there are guys down there that have worked. But they, you know, so, but outside of the ba- the very, very basic stuff that, you know, where you go out and you kind of learn what makes you unique because it's such a pattern style, uh, as I've mentioned, it's, yeah, they can kind of do the pattern style. But the problem is, I mean, th- but that pattern style really comes back to bite them sometimes, say something in like the Nia Jax Alexa match where neither one of those women, like they had Alexa get the heat on Nia for like a long time because that's what a long WWE championship match is supposed to be. But that, like, and that's the only way they know how to work. And that sucked because Nia is not a good baby face. She's not really good at all. And Alexa beating up Nia is like, nobody, you know, believed in that. And so, Naya tried to do her body positivity promo afterwards and got booed. Yeah. And the crowds, the crowds really haven't reacted negatively to Naya at all, except no. for then. I mean, they were ready to, to accept her as, as a star, even though clearly her in-ring is lacking. Um, you know, the people, it's not like one of those things with Roman where the people are just, bound and determined because they're being force fed that they are not going to accept him. They were ready to accept Naya. They told a bad story in that match and they told a bad story in the Charlotte and Carmella match. You have the, the less um, physically uh, impressive or <laughs> the smaller worker in both cases just gets the heat on, on the the baby face. First of all, why are all the tiny people uh, heels? <laughs> and and to your point about about patterned matches and kind of the group think that goes on there. Whoever's agenting these matches, 
apparently just never stopped to consider that, you know, the people might not really be into seeing five foot Alexa beating on, you know, the much bigger Nia Jax or people haven't seen Carmella in a long singles match probably ever. And she's out there just dom physically dominating uh, the woman that beat Asuka <laughs> a month yeah. ago. I mean, it's, that's the thing too. It's there's a way to do the sort of the smaller heel, you know. But they're not like she's doing anything particularly dastardly to get the heat, you know. She's like Charlotte hurt her own knee, and then Carmella took over, and that ended up leading to the finish. And it's kind of that same thing in the in the Nia match. Like Alexa just like tripped Nia off off the middle turnbuckle or whatever. They. There wasn't. It's not like oh, the heels being really underhanded and raking the eyes or using weapons behind the ref's right. back or you know, using that. I mean, that's how the undersized heel should be able to get heat, right? Or you know, in some cases, have you know, have a heater with him. Like Adam Cole is a really small guy in NXT, and he has three other dudes that can run interference for him and you know help him get the heat, right? Uh, on a guy like Cassius Ono or something, you know, a guy who's much bigger than him. So, like, there's a way to do the smaller heel that could be effective and still let them get heat and work chin locks and all that stuff they have to do. But it's generally just every heel works the same when you're a woman, no matter, you know, regardless of your size or what your strengths as a worker should be. And just to circle back to Big Cass for a second, the guy has no offense. Like Big Cass and Baron Corbin <laughs> should both be um, geeks in a tag team, like dumb jocks in a tag team with a smaller guy that does all the work, and then they tag in for the hot tag. And when you can you can get by with running wild with clotheslines and you know Cass Cass's big elbow drop. Like the dude, he moves really well for a big guy. He just can't do anything, which is <laughs> the most puzzling thing to me yeah that i mean he was a victim of they gave him way too much time they obviously wanted to you know to have it be one of those matches where he dominates and then the little guy submits him which is theoretically fine but as you mentioned he can do three moves so he hits a boot or he hits a back elbow or a clothesline and then he does his pose yeah and then he hits a move and he does his pose and he does that nine times and the people aren't booing him because they don't, they don't care, and it's boring. And then finally, Brian, you know, Brian locked on the submission, and he just tapped right away. And yeah, this that was just, I like, I don't feel, I don't feel bad for him necessarily, but yeah, I don't think he was set up to succeed particularly well here. Yeah, and we can. Um, this is a point that you raised to me via text during the show. You wanted to kind of. Um, rip the agenting on this show, which at the time I thought, eh, maybe it's a fair point, maybe it's not. But then I was thinking about the greatest Royal Rumble show where they did the same exact Brock Roman match that they did at WrestleMania that got a horrible reaction because they know better. And that was just <laughs> a bad, that was a bad crowd at WrestleMania. And and they know how to put together a pro, a pro wrestling match. And then after starting the Roman Joe main event a million miles an hour trading big moves brawling all over the place which has kind of been the formula for main event pay-per-view Roman Reigns matches 
main event pay-per-view Brock Lesnar matches over the last year or so. That's kind of been their formula. You just come out going 100 miles an hour. You just hit big moves. Roman just hits all his cool moves over and over again to the point where I I am kind of bored but I'm desensitized to that now. I've seen sure. it so much that they started doing that, and I thought, oh, I don't want to see that again. But they had the crowd for the first couple minutes. And then, as I said, the crowd turned on the match and Joe started doing uh, chin locks and Roman sold forever. So anyway, you want to talk about the bad agenting on that show. Yeah, uh, specifically with that main event, it was a wild brawl that broke down into a grappling contest. (laughs) Like, that's not that's the reverse of how it should go. Like, if you were going to start out slow and then you go crazy by the end. And and then you do your big moves and your finish. That's that's one thing. I mean, I still don't think there's any scenario where Joe should have sat in a headlock for five minutes. Yeah. And then sat in an arm lock for another three minutes. But as you mentioned, maybe that was also him, you know, trying to stick it to the crowd. By the way, I we don't think we've mentioned this. Half the crowd left <laughs> before the show was over. Because it was eleven um, thirty on a work night. <laughs> Yeah, and apparently someone said the the Amtrak in that area, like the the last one is out at midnight. So if you don't get out by midnight, if you're taking you know taking the train and the subway, then you're stuck there till like three thirty a.m. or something. Yeah, it's, that's how it is in D.C. too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they had to go till eleven forty five because they had to do that stupid drifter segment in the middle of the show, <laughs> which actually like. In a bottle, that segment was actually pretty funny, but yeah. it went for 20 minutes or something. Yeah. And it was just, and at the end of the show, I was mad that it had occurred. Anyway, but yes, that age, it was just, I don't understand. The strengths of Roman Reigns are big moves and wild brawls and all that. And I do understand what you're saying and that he goes to that well quite often. But I would also say most main eventers in WWE had a certain style that they went to quite often. You know, in the mid 2000s, there's a lot of crowd brawling in like Austin Rock main events. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, there's there's obviously Hogan had a certain patterned match. Brett, to an extent, had a, you know, Brett, Brett and Sean were obviously less patterned than any other top guys, but they also weren't top guys for that long. Um, Tippy top guys, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So I I think if it plays to his strengths, it's worse, you know, maybe taking the chance of desensitizing people to it just because the alternative is Roman Reigns is not <laughs> is not good at, at selling when you're in the chin lock, it's gonna generally be boring unless you have a baby face that has a very expressive face and can really rally the crowd. That's the other thing too, is that nobody likes Roman Reigns. <laughs> Um, and I think they thought, well, people like Joe, but once Joe does this boring, really basic offense, people will get restless and they'll cheer for Roman doing his comeback just because he's doing like actual moves and not this boring stuff. But that's not what happened. People just left. And then the best part, I mean, to me was, you know, a lot of people had already left and people were chanting boring and chanting CM Punk and all that stuff. And then they, they do go they go to the finish. Roman hits the spear and wins. And they try to cut to the crowd celebrating. And it's literally just a shot of people walking out of their seats. Like yeah. as soon as that bell rang, people were just gone. Yeah. And it's just like, 
man, I see. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Michael Hayes was allegedly the the mastermind behind the Roman Brock matches. I don't know if he thought, well, now if that didn't work. All the big moves things didn't work with Roman, so we'll try the opposite. I don't know, man. But it's like for whatever, for better or worse, Roman's strengths are wild brawls where he gets to do all his cool moves, and you break barricades and you break tables. And and all that stuff, and you just start kicking out of big moves immediately, like that's that's the style that works for Roman Reigns most consistently. So I yeah I don't I don't understand what 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 exactly they were thinking as far as having him sit in a chin lock for nine minutes. Yeah, that was pretty bizarre. Um, Talking about baby faces that aren't especially good at selling in long rest holds, Charlotte was abysmal at that on that show too. Oh my god, yeah. she's just sitting there, and you would have thought—I don't know—that she was like in a waiting room at a DMV or something. <laughs> like she had no expression at all on her face. And she, but I don't want. We I don't gotta wanna... turn Becky right. Like we gotta turn Becky or Oscar. Oh my lord! <laughs> don't. Um, We'll get to that in a second. There's one bright spot on the backlash show, and that was the opener between Seth and The Miz, probably the best match of The Miz's career. I would go four and a half stars for that. I'm sure I'm curious to see what you know Dave's rating for it is in The Observer this week. But then Seth went out on Raw and wrestled Mojo Raleigh, who is that horrible combination of bad and dangerous. <laughs> so his stuff doesn't look good because he's bad. And it hurts because he's probably 245 pounds legit and he hits you for real. So yeah. Mojo sucks and is that horrible combination of bad and dangerous. I And the open challenge thing, that's their, that's all they know how to do. <laughs> they have Seth, by the way, uh, I was wrong. You're right. Seth needs to uh, beat Brock Lesnar and he's, Thrown a couple uh, Easter eggs in his promos here the last week or so about wanting to be a champion that's not like Brock Lesnar. Do you think that's the direction they're going? Rather, I mean, we talked last week about how it's clearly Roman is not the guy anymore, um, at least for now, until they figure out a way to retool and try <laughs> again. But um, do you think that's leading to something, or do you? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you figure. I mean, it's so up in the air. At, you know how long Brock's going to be around. Until I see him back in that USADA testing pool, I don't. I'm still not convinced he's going to UFC to fight, you know, Stipe or or Cormier or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I don't think it's impossible that Brock's, you know, Brock stays even past you know this year. So whether or not that's just little things he's throwing in because they're going there at SummerSlam or you know, I don't know. I don't know what dates Brock is working. If he'll be back for the July show, um, it's been reported he's not going to be on the Money in the Bank show. So I could, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think Seth, Seth would make sense as an opponent. And I mean, hopefully that, I mean, that would be, again, it's, you know, for, for me booking, it, it would be, that would be my SummerSlam main event is Seth beating Brock for the title. Like whatever you're going to do after that. Um, and we can talk about that. Seth, is Seth the guy for the next 10 years? I don't know. He's been on TV a while already, so probably not. But he, yeah, he's he's your guy right now, and I, I hope that's the direction they're heading. Obviously, Braun is kind of a man without a country right now. Um, so 
it kind of seems like he's just treading water until they, they figure out something more long-term for him to do. You know, the money in the bank, these ladder matches, these multi-man matches are such a crutch for them because it gets them out of having to book like actual feuds for people. Cause they yeah. just throw eight dudes in every match. They just throw all their main eventers in these multi-man matches and don't have to actually like try to write. Yeah. Yep. Um, so raw was not a whole lot going on besides, you know, Jinder and Roman as direction and Bauer yeah. qualifi- qualifying, <laughs> qualifying for money in the bank and Ember Moon qualifying for money in the bank. So, uh, you attended SmackDown this week, SmackDown 205 live. Uh, normally when they're in town, I would have been there too, but I went to a concert and I'm thinking I may have enjoyed myself more, but I haven't talked to you about this. So how was SmackDown? Um, it was not the worst show I've ever been to. <laughs> uh, it was not the best show I have ever been to. Okay. It was a TV taping for a show with not a lot going on currently. Mm-hmm. Um, they mostly held AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura off the show. They came out and had a dark match main event um, where they did work a lot harder than you might expect, um, mm. considering. Uh, but so the SmackDown show itself, it was three long matches. Uh, Jeff Hardy and Miz had a very, very good match. And, and Miz beat Jeff Hardy to qualify for Money in the Bank. That was really good. So Miz is, you know, twice in three days had, you know, really good matches with two very different with with opponents of varying level of skill at this point in their careers. Mm. Um, So good week, good week for the Miz in ring, which I think we've kind of talked in the past that in ring is certainly not the Miz's strong suit, but he, uh, he certainly held his own. Um, uh, There was uh, Charlotte and Peyton Royce. uh, (sighs) I, I feel like I'm really, I'm like extra mean about the SmackDown women every week. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to be, mm. but it's like I saw As- Asuka and Sonya Deville had a dark match before the SmackDown tapings. Mm-hmm. That was very good, and Sonya's wow. Sonya's gonna be Sonya's gonna be great. I think. Wow. Um, I think she's gonna be really. I mean, maybe not great, but she's gonna be. She's gonna be very good. She's gonna be one of the better women they have. I would say within the next couple of years. She moves like an um, athlete. That helps, and but she was able to go toe to toe, and she was able to get heat on Asuka in a way that didn't make my eyes glaze over. Wow, um, which is not something I would say when I've seen, say, Asuka wrestle Peyton Royce um, mm. at an NXT house show we went to a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, saw Peyton Royce and Charlotte have a very, very below average match, mm. um, which. We we talk we've talked about this a lot lately. If Charlotte's <laughs> in there with the right person, she can be very good, and yeah. she can have. And again, as you mentioned, those the you know the sort of the more famous Charlotte and Sasha matches, they got to do a lot of stuff that women don't get to do on their week to week shows. You know, there's a lot of brawling. Got to use weapons. They got to do crazy stuff, and they pulled it off. I'm not saying they don't right. deserve credit for it, but you know. A lot of that stuff that plays to her big moves and kickouts and her doing the moon salts and dives and stuff that is is Charlotte's strong suit and selling for Peyton Royce is not, yeah. um, and mm-hmm. selling for Carmella certainly was not as you mentioned. Yeah, um, what I've seen of what I've seen of Peyton uh, seems like she's a good character but not a particularly strong worker. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and again, that's. Sometimes that's okay if your character work is strong. I did think 
Peyton and uh, and Billy Kay, they cut a promo on their way to the ring. Uh, they were the bright kind of annoying to me this week mm. in the sense that I thought, yeah, I kind of like to see somebody beat them up. So <laughs> that's that's no, but I, I mean, I mean that, you know, in a purely fictional sense, but because you're a respecter of women, of course, I, I am TM, the women respecter. Um, but yeah, I so I didn't I didn't think much of that match. Uh, Becky Lynch lost in like a minute to uh, Mandy Rose <sighs> and uh that was hilarious, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, main event. Uh, hey, just I, I like to take a moment to be creepy. Um, bang, bang. Be- Becky's back on the market, um, so our uh-huh. friend, our friend John, can uh, you know make his move. Hey, shoot your shot. And uh, seeing Mandy Rose live, always a good time. <laughs> <laughs> She's a. Uh... She she's a I don't know. Um, yeah, and I would just like to also say since we kind of already moved past uh, Carmella and talking about ca- character work, she's very good at her character. She's no good at the in ring, but uh, without question, I've been married almost a year now. Uh, the most challenging time in my nearly one year of marriage was the week that Carmella cashed in money in the bank, and I walked around the house for the next ten days uh, singing her theme song. <laughs> Definitely the most challenging week of my marriage so far. Outstanding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Laughter. Uh, F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S. Yes. All right. And uh, yeah, so then the main event, uh, I don't know if you've heard, Ethan, but uh, Dana O'Brien lost clean to Rusev. (laughs) It's Rusev there. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I have some thoughts on this. Uh, as you might expect. What? Um, so on the one hand, I was not a fan of the way he just kind of lost. It wasn't, it was clean. Like Rusev just beat him. Um, Aiden didn't really get involved very heavily. Um, it was just, yeah, Rusev just kind of beat him. Um, now I will say if we accept that this is WWE and he's always going to probably lose, Let's be generous and say twenty five percent of his matches, you know, as as number two babyface, number three babyface, whatever he is on SmackDown currently. Sure. Um, okay, at least he lost to a guy that like the fans are invested in, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a thumbs up. I will give them some credit there. Um, my my one thing, and I've seen people, a few people talk about this on uh, on Twitter, and I think it's a pretty valuable thing to talk about. Is, since he's come back, they have told exactly one story with uh, with Daniel Bryan, which is he's small and fragile, and oh my God, can he even make it to the ring without injuring himself? <laughs> he's always taped up. <laughs> yeah, he's, and I mean, some of that stuff happens. Like you know, he hadn't been chopped in five years, and then he and Roderick Strong got really excited, and <laughs> Roderick Strong tried to kill him in the Greatest Royal Rumble. Yeah. So his chest got all, you know, turned to hamburger. Yeah. But um so you know, maybe some of that is is self-inflicted to an extent, but it's like I'm so tired and it's the way and it's the way they treated Rey Mysterio when he was a top guy. It's the way they generally treat small people. They're kind of doing it with Johnny Gargano in NXT right now. Uh which is he's small and he's babyface and even though he's a top guy, you've got to beat him down. And he's got to sell and sell. And every story has to be, he's the underdog. 
how can he possibly contend with this big guy? And then he ekes out a win and the announcers act like it's a miracle. And then we just kind of rinse and repeat. Yep. And, and look, I'm not saying maybe, you know, once he gets into a feud with say, if he and AJ Styles or he and Shinsuke Nakamura, someone that he is in a more similar weight class to, I'm, I'm hoping that won't still be the story they're telling. But as of right now, they've basically told, as I said, one story since he's been back with him, which is that he's small and frail. So I'm a little, I'm ready to see them do something a little different with him. That's more than fair. Did you stick around for 205 Live? I did. Uh, They, yeah, they announced, despite saying on on the SmackDown show that neither Nakamura nor AJ were were cleared to compete, uh, Paige here showed up and... uh, (laughs) And on the uh, on the Titan Tron before the main event, and told us that they'd they'd be around for the dark match. And myself and my friend Ben, who I went to the show with, kind of discussed, uh, well, that we're staying for. And we kind of decided it's a bucket list thing, probably to say that you've seen AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura wrestle live if you're a hardcore wrestling fan. So we decided to stay. Um, Buddy Murphy, which is a name I cannot believe made it all the way to the technically the main roster. <laughs> Like I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just, it's like you like, gotta, you're like you gotta, here's uh, your cruiserweight champion, <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Anderson, Lonnie like, Donegan. <laughs> the most just basic nothing. It's like it sounds like a guy who would be a jobber on like 1987 World Class. Oh yes, good. Um, but here he is as the, I guess, the new number one contender for Cedric Alexander. He and Mustafa Ali had a main event. Most of the crowd, I would say, it was not a giant crowd in this Baltimore uh, SmackDown taping. Mm. But most of the crowd stayed to see AJ and Nakamura. It was not a mass exodus Okay. Uh, after when 205 Live started. Um, but the crowd was pretty quiet. Um, there was an opening tag match with Jack Gallagher and Brian Kendrick and the, the Lucha Lucha guys, mm-hmm. uh, which the crowd didn't really care for. There was a always exciting Tony Nese squash match. Ugh. And then uh, main event, which was, as I said, Buddy Murphy against Mustafa Ali. Uh, Mustafa Ali, and I think you've mentioned this, and I kind of blew you off when you brought it up. Not intentionally, but just because I haven't seen a lot of him, and maybe you have seen a bit more of him. Yeah. Uh, is Mustafa Ali like the third or fourth best guy in this whole company? I'm as not far sure. As ring goes. He, in terms of f- being really flashy, uh, yeah, he's probably top two. Top two. <laughs> Perhaps most outstanding in the way that you know that's the, the Will Osprey category or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I'd put it. Um. Osprey's better at selling, but Mustafa's really good, and he's got the best finish in the company. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, so like, as I said, the crowd was not there to see 205 Live. They were there to watch AJ Nakamura afterwards. So they were pretty quiet, but uh, Ali and Buddy Murphy really got him by the end. Uh, there was a spot where uh, Murphy was like in between the ropes, and Ali hit a like tilt a world DDT. Um, it's incredible. Murphy jumped. Tried to do a springboard to the outside, and Ali caught him with a super kick. Like these yeah. guys worked their butts off, and the crowd did get into it. And uh, I mean, there's talent there, man, and it's it's tough. I still don't watch two or five live every week because, well, I, there's just only so many hours in the day, and 
uh, you a, know, but there was a four and a half hour pay per view on Sunday night, followed yeah, by and there was three hours three, of Raw on Monday, <laughs> and two three hour New Japan shows over the week. You know, over the last week, and yeah, and uh, this is just this is too much, man. And two hundred five live generally does not. I, I made a point to watch two hundred five live when Roderick Strong was on that show because that's how much I I value Roderick Strong, mm. but. Um, at least when I heard he was, you know, wrestling guys that I think are also very good, but, um, yeah, but I, I do want to say thumbs up to them. They did a, they worked very hard and, uh, you know, Ali and, and, and buddy, uh, did a, <laughs> did a very good job and they, they were able to get the crowd, uh, in a way that is generally seems to be a problem with 205 live. Um, it's a shame because everyone, you know, everyone you see on Twitter now is like, yeah, the show's really good now. It's like. It's kind of like saying impact is really good now or something. It's like, I believe you, but it's too late, man. It's too late for me to mm-hmm. invest in this. I think that's a fair take. Um, you mentioned the big new Japan shows last week, the wrestling Dantaku shows. They've set up dominion. Probably their second or third biggest show of the year is coming up in June. Chris Jericho's coming in for that. Rey Mysterio is coming in for that. Um, Kazuchika Okada, who defeated the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, last week to um, break the record for most IWGP title defenses, um, topping Tanahashi. Uh, he's just he's on a really really long title reign, and they've set up Okada and Omega Four for Dominion. And I'm not sure if now that Okada's beaten Tanahashi that if it's time to switch the title there, or if this is just the never-ending title reign, I'm not sure. you have a sense for where they're going with Okada and Omega? It's interesting, because, yeah, you do have that one point that now that he's broken the record, um, there's not an obvious reason to keep the belt on him for that much longer, as we've sort of talked about in the past. He's really pretty much out of, of new challengers. Um. So it does seem like it's time. On the other hand, Omega is not at the level he was a year ago as far as that main adventure status. He's been, you know, he's been in a tag team and and he's been doing, you know, the Bullet Club stuff with with Cody and you know, is coming off, you know, a pretty high profile loss to Cody. Um, so, I mean, it's still going to be a big match. It'll still be a very good match. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if Omega does win, but it doesn't feel like this is necessarily, this isn't the peak. Like to me, the time to put the belt on Omega was probably last summer and they chose not to. Yeah. Um, and now it doesn't feel like he's the guy that should be Okada anymore. Um, you have a stronger sense of it? No, that's kind of my take too. Is it? Yeah, I think we. I think this would have had a lot more impact a year ago, but I, I understand why they're they're trying to make, you know, an all time great in Okada, and the guy delivers every single month. So yeah, um, and Omega is having a good time doing his tag team stuff, you know, doing the Golden Lover stuff with the Bushies. So cool, you know, um, but I I just don't know who the next guy is to step up. So I don't know. It's interesting. Um, they have a month to get us invested. So, or get us um, more fired up for that. And they do that with, you know, a zillion tags. So <laughs> uh, best of the super juniors going on there too. So 
that's coming up this month in New Japan. And um, time to bring back an old segment, Liam, one we haven't done in a while. It's boss time. Uh oh. Now it's boss time. So on the backlash pre-show, Bailey wrestled Ruby Riot and she lost, but before she and Sasha had a backstage segment, which then led to uh, a follow-up the next night on Raw. I really don't understand what they're doing with this this Bailey and Sasha thing at this point. I just know Ruby Riot keeps beating both of them. Um, but uh, Bailey came out and, and interfered to help Sasha in her match with uh, Ember Moon and Ruby Riot on Raw on Monday. Great match, by the way. I thought they had a really good match. The crowd was more interested in uh, playing with beach balls. And I think there was a proposal in the crowd during that match. Um, you know, the hashtag give divas a chance people that go to shows and, uh, don't pay attention when the women wrestle. Uh, they really, uh, really grind my gears, but Sasha did a flip dive in that match. Uh, she did a, a meteora into the corner immediately followed up by a flip dive over the top to the outside. Uh, so I'm all for anything that isn't her doing a, 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 uh, a suicide dive, a, uh, tope suicida where she lands on her head. So, uh, cool, cool flip dive, and that was awesome. And let's see. Not sure where they're going here with the uh, women's money in the bank. I'm sure that everyone is going to have to have, everyone's going to have multiple chances to qualify uh, because they don't have very big rosters. So, I think just because she lost the match on Raw this week, they still have five more weeks of TV before the next pay-per-view. So, I think think there's still a chance that the boss ends up as Miss Money in the Bank this year, which is just going to be awesome. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> exactly, sir. Well, there you go. That was boss time. That was boss time. All right, yay! You didn't you didn't cut the segment off this week. No, I, I decided to let you have it. It's been so long that uh, that uh, I've uh, I thought I thought I'd let you have it this week. I will say, I assume Ruby is probably wrestling Naya at that show. You would think um, they're they're putting some steam behind her. I mean, yeah, yeah they talked a lot on on com- like a lot of the commentary was talking about how great Ruby has been since she's been there and. How she has wins over Sasha and Bailey. How she took Charlotte to the limit, even though that's not really a big deal anymore because Carmella did it. But mm. um, do you think Carmella Vince McMahon it. gets it? <laughs> do you think Vince McMahon looks at Ruby Riot and is like, "Yep, I get it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just glad her and Paige are on separate shows. <laughs> Outside of the accent, I don't know that he could tell them apart. Um, Good point, Shelton. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> So that's probably good news. I mean, I don't. I, this sounds weird. It's probably a good for Ruby Riot's career that Paige is not a re- an active wrestler anymore, 
Mm. Um, just they have because a quota. I, they have a quota of pale. Yes. There's only so many brunette goth girls that they're going to be able to have on the main roster at, at, uh, at the same time. So I think it is probably good news for Ruby. And the fact that outside of Alexa, they really don't have any heels on that show. So mm. besides the right squad. So mm. I think, I mean, it's probably a good, as good a time as any to be a heel oh. uh, on, on raw. Um, I, just, I just had a, I just had a terrible thought. You imagine Nia wrestling Sarah Logan, <laughs> which we would definitely get on TV if they're building to Ruby. Oh, that's Nia. true. I mean, yeah. Oh um, my but, Lord. And because it's raw, it'll probably go through a commercial break. Yeah, that match is going to get 12 minutes. Oh. Reworking holds. All right, we're desperately out of time. I need to go walk my dog. Uh, anything else real quick here? Uh, no, I think we've, uh, we've covered all the big news. We'll, uh, we'll see what's going on next week, and we'll decide if we do a show. <laughs> we'll see if I get less ill than I currently am, and uh, we'll get back to you. But uh, I think we, we covered all our bases. Backlash was bad. SmackDown was okay as a live show. Raw was all right. And there was some good news if you're a Sasha Banks fan. And Lord knows there isn't that much these days. So That's, that's, that's true. All right. Until next time, I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. And we'll be back very soon with more stories from the wrestling life. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. For other podcasts like this, head to obpapparel.com. The Wrestling Life is brought to you by OBP Apparel. For Baltimore's best local sports gear, head to obpapparel.com. Whether it's baseball or football season, we've got you covered with Baltimore's best local sports gear. That's obpapparel.com. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. Be sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for The Wrestling Life on the iTunes store. Make sure you leave a review and tell us how we're doing. Also, be sure to follow the guys on Twitter at TWL underscore podcast for live tweets during wrestling events and other hilarity throughout the week. That's at TWL underscore podcast. Now back to the guys. I definitely need your take on the end of the Taylor Swift, Katy Perry feud. So, um, I don't know. Is it the pro wrestling thing in me that just makes me assume most, most of that is all fake anyway? A problem. Um, I will say usually my radar, my antenna are up. Um, I, I usually assume that everything is a work. And I did not assume that that was a work. So maybe you're more in tune to the whole scene. I'm not sure. Taylor Swift, I mean, uh, she got a lot of, I think both of them had some benefits to that and got to write songs about it. 
and got a lot of free press over it. Mm. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it was real and they were just, they're just savvy enough or their managers are just savvy enough to use it for their benefit. But I don't know. Hmm. You know, if people are going to be nice to each other, I'm sure they'll, you know, appear, they'll do a duet of something at somebody's show in the next, you know, Ugh. few months. And, you know, Taylor will sing one of her songs. She'll sing one of Taylor's songs and it'll be a Super Bowl of love. <laughs> I see. Well, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I, I'm realizing now that I talk about this that um, I am a total mark because oh. I am disappointed that it's over and I didn't even re- consider really that it was fake. So now that <laughs> uh, I don't know, I just <laughs> I wanted that one to be real. I'm not sure why. I mean, they got a lot of the, you know a lot of mileage out of it. Sure did several years. Yeah. I mean that's I mean that's a that's maybe a, a a feather in the cap of it not being fake is yeah they went they went on for as long as they did yeah. there have been other sort of manufactured feuds that seem to you know wrap up in a nice little bow within you know six months or so mm-hmm. usually right around like the Emmys or something yes <laughs> so yeah that could just be me being cynical. So this date today started. Well, started is a uh, is a rough term, but uh, <laughs> probably not the correct term. I got up at you know eight to attack the day uh, <laughs> after being up super late last night at a concert, and uh, I was walking to my car this morning, and um, I live uh, on the same street as that nursing home. You were here once, and you, you yeah. Know. So. Um, I'm walking. To, I'm parked on that street, so I'm walking there, and um, on in the grass to the like ten feet from my car, there is a uh, there's a miniature dachshund with uh, a black and tan mini dachshund with one ear flipped back, who's like foraging through the grass and stuff. And as I get closer, uh, it, the the dog is not on a leash, and then the dog starts like staring me down. I'm like, what? What is going on here? And then, um, from the car parked directly in front of me, a a woman emerges, and she was dressed as though she was attending the Met Gala, uh-huh. <laughs> like full hair and makeup, and not like normal hair and makeup. Like I'm at the Met Gala, uh, uh-huh. hair and makeup. She's talking on a cell phone. She's driving a Cadillac Escalade, and the hatchback is open, and it's clearly her dog. So as I approach, she just very loudly, very clearly says, that was very well said into the cell cell phone. I get into my car and drive away, and she continues walking her mini dachshund off leash. So (laughs) story about nothing, but that's how my day started. That's a pretty good non sequitur, though. I try to keep on keeping on.